Hi, friend. Welcome to the Olive Branch Mom Podcast. My name is Bridget Adler, a Catholic mom of four turned religion teacher. Each week, you'll hear interviews, tips, and strategies to grow in faith and find peace in the chaos, while we extend the proverbial olive branch from one spiritual viewpoint to another. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's jump right into it. How are you? I'm all right. I just did my workout. Oh, how'd that go? I'm tired. Oh, I can't imagine. Usually that must mean you did it well then. I'm doing butt Bible again. My good old butt Bible routine that I've done. Since since maybe the old standbys I think are sort of the best for those types of things. <laughs> it's like the, the level two upper body is what I did today. And it's very shoulder intensive, which I have like one shoulder. That's not, I don't know what's going on with it. It's not super happy. Yeah, <laughs> no. Oh, this is what happens when you're in your forties. You have shoulders that aren't happy anymore. Even though you barely I use them. I mean, come on. <laughs> I was trying these new, um, they're not really workouts. It's more like body awareness. So you do, it's all about like moving extremely slowly and like feeling the position of the spine it's called Feldenkrais. I'll, so, I'll send you some of the, uh, but it's good because a lot of, I think what happens when you are as old as we are, which isn't really that old. My dad no. said, like, I don't want to hear it, but like, um, so like a certain way of walking or sitting or standing over time can cause tension where they're in pain. Right. And it's not because you did anything. It's only because you've been moving a certain way your whole life. Exactly. Yeah. This, and what I love about this is it's very non-judgmental. He's like, nope, we're, you're not going to judge why you stand or why you sit a certain way. It's just about being aware of where you sit when you sit. And so I'll send it to you. It's just, and it's free. So I'll just, you know, Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's very kind of like, you know, Tai Chi-ish. It's very Tai Chi. It's extremely Tai (laughs) Chi-ish. I love Tai Chi. So I said hi. Here's a question for you. Are you able to just like, you know how little kids sit, you know, with their like heels underneath their butt and their knees like completely bent? Yes. Are you able to sit like that yet? No. (laughs) I have never been able to, because I've always had since I was a kid had arthritis. So like I've been working on my knee flexibility so I can sit like that for a portion of time, because when I'm in the atrium sitting on the floor with kids, it's like my, oh. my feet fall asleep. If I sit yeah. crisscross applesauce, crisscross applesauce <laughs> is like crisscross. My feet are asleep. Like. Yes. I can only sit like that for like maybe five to seven minutes before I put mm-hmm. asleep. I've always been like that though. So yeah, I was going to say again, like <laughs> You should check out the thing. Cause like, I just love how he's like, this, the teachers are just, they're like, you know what? If this feels uncomfortable, why don't you just change position? It's well, all, not, it's all about like not forcing some ideal, which I appreciate. <laughs> yeah. I totally want to, I want to get on board with this for sure. Yeah. But you're right. I think it's very similar to Tai Chi and any sort of thing that's like movement awareness, like feel what your body feels. So yeah. Just a little get, bit of, you know, like the Pilates method has that really, really slow controlled movement. Very slow, very controlled. Which and is, I love all that because it's slow impact. I totally am with you. And it's more about awareness of just like, here I am alive, stretching my body. <laughs> I've never been someone who wants to be jumping around. Let's just be real. No, it's You probably I, jumped around. I have. Yeah. I feel like it's been sort of like like a forced thing for a lot of my life of like well, this is what you have to do you know me I'm like well if I have to do it I'll do it right and it's like 
And then I'm like, but this doesn't feel great. You know what I mean? Of course, like dancing's different. Like turn on some music, dance with Cam. Like that's fun. But like I have gotten, I feel like the wisdom, if I have any that I've achieved is sort of like, you know, you don't have to do what people say you have to <laughs> run. You don't have to jump around. You don't have to go to spin class. Like you can actually do workouts that you really do enjoy and you might stick with them then because you actually enjoy them. Yes, I know. It's part of the wisdom from Pauline Nordine in the Buff Bible. She's like, are you going to do a workout that's stupidly boring? No, no. <laughs> what? <laughs> stupidly boring. Oh, I'm not. I refuse. <laughs> I do a fun workout because I want to do fun workouts because I'm a fun person. Yeah. I'm with you, man. 100%. (laughs) How'd your week been otherwise? Uh, well, you know, I got a lunch coming that I don't want to attend. No, you do have a lunch coming. Let's see if we can apply, um, the concepts of meditation before mass. We finished composure, right? What chapters are we on this week? We are on chapter six, the offertory, right? Okay. that's tracking with that's tracking all right I don't know I did I did six and seven the offertory and the sacrifice and actually when I was looking I was writing my book I wrote the offertory slash participation and then the chapter seven is sacrifice slash service because I think those are like the two big themes that kind of go along with both of them so when you hear the, the 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 term offertory what goes through your mind offertory it's a giving back i, I and, see a relation to your lunch, I mm. see a relationship to your lunch. <laughs> well it's an action first of all yes you know it's not just sitting and hearing which he points out in this chapter it's taking part so i loved how he brought up how we have just necessarily become removed from the original group of disciples sitting at a table literally partaking in a meal Mm-hmm. And because of the reality of having to become removed from that, that that's part of our lack of, we become observer observers instead of participants. I agree with that. And that has been my experience with a lot of church services. And I also know that if there is someone who is very visibly participating it tends to not be something that people like (laughs) or it it, feels disingenuous. It feels dramatic. I think there is a conception of like, you must be quiet and still like there's one, let's put it this way. I think there's a concept that there's one way to participate and depending what church you're in, there's a social norm for what that means. So like evangelical it's, it's going to be like, you're going to be moving and swaying, putting your hands up like that's, you know, or crying. Like that's like literally churches that I've been part of that have been part of the, like, you have to have that. And if you're not crying, it's like, what's wrong with you? Haven't you felt the spirit? Yeah. So the silent, quiet ones are looking out of place at that point. Yes. Yes. And then the quiet churches, which I've also been a part of are very much like, um, you know, if, I just remember being, I'm sure you do, being very young and like being fidgety and having all these old people be like, don't you have any respect? Like, <laughs> oh, I know my grandmother was caught like grandma Kay. She still glares at people for being too loud or conspicuous. <laughs> so, yes. So that's She's a, like, you need to be reverent right now. Yeah. Reverent. Like, crack. Crack. And another incident I know you experienced where you were in a place where um, there was an assumption you were not being reverent enough. Right. And someone. Was oh, like, yes. 
you are not. So like this, I feel like there's a lot of sanction around this concept of participating. So perhaps that's why people shy away from it. Yeah. Well, people are nervous and they don't want to be judged either way. Right. Yes. But I do like how he points out on page 32 to participate means to share in the task of another. And here we are sharing in that other is the priest, like what's going on at, at the altar. Yes. So we're all supposed to be putting ourselves into that position and participate because he's participating for us. And so we can also kind of put ourselves into his place too, so that we can be that firsthand participant by paying attention. That's why I like to sit in the front row at church. Um, last week, uh, the battery on my bathroom clock went out and I'm like, Oh, you know, look at all this time I have. I have like 15 more minutes. Like we're early. Uh, and I get downstairs and it's like 10:35, and we're five minutes later. And like, what? Like, no. So we all get in the car <laughs> and rush over there. And I, we had to sit in the very back row. Cause I'm like, we're not going to traipse up to the front because always the front row is empty anyway, but I'm like, we're not gonna, everyone's yeah. already involved here. Let's just Sitting. sit back. It was so distracting for me. Cause like I, <laughs> I found myself <laughs> looking at people and being like, Oh, I wonder if yeah. that's over there or like, who's that family yep. or, yep. you know, and then Lexi kept trying to like, see what was happening in the altar. And she's like, I can't see, I can't see I'm like, Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you like I could see maybe sitting on the back one every once in a while just to like change things up, but I would, uh, yeah, sitting in the front is really key for me, so I can actually focus. <laughs> know your limitations, I think, when it comes to that, right? Know your limitations, and I, yes, I think you're right because there's something about um, what, especially for your tradition, there's a lot of formality and a lot of um, ritual. And I think that's probably very key to participating is to sort of view that ritual, even if it's not you doing it by watching it and observing it, you can be part of it. So that I'm trying to think of like another example. So like a baptism is another example, like you're not getting your head dunked in the water, but like you're viewing it and you're acknowledging what it means. Right. But if you're not in that frame of mind that he sort of set us up in for all these previous chapters, you're going to be thinking about what's for lunch why that guy in front of you, like I would always get annoyed in church because I'd have these young couples that would insist on sitting as close together as possible and like nuzzling each other. And I'd be like, <laughs> church, stop. Like, I you want to make that like sank, you know, that sank baby. And like, yes, and it's all okay. Cause you're, but I'm like, please, could we just keep our hands off each other? Like instead of being distracted, because it's so easy to distract myself like that. Oh my gosh. Oh, major pet peeve. Keep your hands off each other. You guys pews. I need like a good social distance. Read the room peeps. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Honestly. Yeah. Well, what I like, he calls out what, um, on page 33, you know, he's talking about entering into what the priest or minister or whatever is doing. And how do we enter into that through, the participants' vital awareness of what is happening. So we really can't have any sense of vital awareness if we're not coming to this moment with concentration and composure, which we talked about before, um, but also having your feelings enter into it, I think, as well. So how do your feelings enter in? Like, give me a personal example. 
Well, I think that part of the distance that sometimes Catholics can feel is because the rituals that they're experiencing every week are the same by and large. I mean, there's different prayers that get said throughout the rituals that change up the mm-hmm. actual actions of the consecration, etc., are always the same every week. And that can lead to, I think for some people that aren't vitally aware of what that all means, that leads to a complacency with it. Familiarity is what happens. And then that invites boredom. Yes. Would you, would you agree? I would uh, 100% agree. I mean, my other question to you is how many people do you think are, are vitally aware of what's going on when they're at church? Depends upon which congregation you're in. I would say it'll vary between half to 75% are not fully aware of what's going on because people haven't been properly catechized, especially in the last 20 years. So people that are in my age group have (laughs) not a ton of awareness. I feel like actually my parents' age group had a whole lot more awareness of what literally was happening at the, Mm -hmm. you know, and that kind of got eroded over the years. So like, for instance, grandma Kay, she is 99 and she is vitally aware of every moment, which is happening because she lived through the transition from the Latin mass into what we have now post Vatican II. So she's, you know, vitally aware, but that slowly has become eroded because of a lack of proper formation, I think. So nowadays I would say probably like, yeah, between 50 to 75% of people are not fully aware of what's going on at mass. So that leads to, I think, a lack of, first of all, you're not going to have a lot of reverence and you're not going to be able to fully participate. I think it's funny because I know some things have changed since he wrote this book and some things have not, but the fact that he even is writing this chapter sort of hinting at the fact that he also knew that this was a problem when he wrote the book, right? Sure. Many years ago. But I do think you're right in the sense of, um, not just traditions being eroded, but I think, cause it's, I think it's also what we taught a lot of what we talked about in those first two chapters of just like the cult of busyness and the attention span that has been created by the, the smartphone. You know what I mean? It's sort of yeah. like circuited the brain a bit to really have a challenge with quiet, mindful, aware, vital awareness. You know what I mean? Like that's already going to be a challenge no matter what it is. And then add on to a, what you're saying in terms of like, there's a proper orientation to undergo, to really understand what you're like, you're absolutely, I think education is a key part of it too. Like how can you in that tradition interact and have, be vitally aware if you have not been properly sort of brought through the process of understanding that makes a lot of sense to me. Well, and also you're looking at a congregation as a whole. I mean, these are many gen- different generations. And then I think there's a lot of course, it's going to be full of children that aren't fully aware. Although some of them that have been in the atrium, like they have a lot closer connection to what's going on in the mass than some of the grownups do, you know, yes. because they're experiencing it at their level and they're feeling like the essence of it in a different, well, they're learning that like right off the bat instead of something that has to be taught to them in a theoretical sense later on, you know, when they're, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of issues about how to, I mean, there's a lot to consider about teaching people about faith matters and it's complex. And, you know, I can see how some people it's just going to pass over their heads because they're just not ready. And then other people are ready at an earlier age. And some people come to it when they're grown ups and they have this awareness and passion for things. 
And some people it doesn't happen until they're elderly. So, I mean, yeah. I'm making generalizations when I'm, you know, saying it's probably this or probably that, or my grandma's generation was that my parents were that it's like, I can only speak from, you know, what I've experienced from the people in my life, but I don't know. I mean, it, it's tricky because it really does vary between community to community. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Especially because I mean, there's just so, you know, Catholic church can vary so much. And then of course, evangelicals, I mean, and Protestants, I'm not sure of their level of awareness of what's happening or exactly what they're doing all the time in their services. Cause that's not something I'm familiar with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but you know, they're, they're calling out this moment of offertory as our participation. So like when you're talking about at the mass, there's actually a gest- gesture of offering where the priest lifts up the, the bread and the wine. And that is what we say is him giving thanks back to God for these gifts you know it's like an offertory is a giving thanks at that point so what do you think offertory we're talking about offertory in terms of participation and giving thanks and giving thanks I think this has become a bit reflective in something that I think people feel an obligation to do and I think sometimes that steals you from the true joy of feeling like feeling really grateful I think there are moments in our lives where like you're like, well, thank you for this. And thank you for that. All well, you're like, just doing it to get through it. And then there are moments when it really hits you and you're like, oh, I am so grateful for this moment. I'm so grateful for this. Let-. You know what I mean? And there, so I find it interesting, um, my state of mind between the two. And I think, again, he's really onto something in these first few chapters, because I don't believe you can fully be grateful for anything if you're not fully present in what's going on. And it seems so silly yes. because I think people have, um, I think people are now in this very unreligious society, which I don't think is a bad thing. I'm just mentioning that it is. And it means it's divorced a little bit from these types of traditions that can bring you back to this awareness. So you see people grasping for like blog posts on like, maybe I need a gratitude list or maybe I need a joinness or maybe, you know what I mean? They're like searching. It's a searching, right? It's like something is off and I'm trying to sort of like, and they're like, well, I'm going to do this gratitude list. So they get a gratitude journal and they like do it for like a week. And they're like, this is amazing. It's changed my life. And then like things get busy. Like the, there's a plumbing issue. Like life happens and it like pulls you away from this gratitude list. So I think what I have found is a better approach instead of like arbitrarily going after these little things that to start with the first half of this book. And if you cannot progress past the first few parts, that's a really about being present in your life, that an, the offering section will make no sense to you whatsoever. And you will not be able to do it successfully. I have noticed that if I am really working on being aware, being present, removing distractions, that I, I have feelings of true gratitude that grow from that. Because if you are paying attention, how can you not be grateful for what you have? But it's like, if you mind dominate, something will always be wrong. Someone will always be wrong. And you'll always be right. You'll just have these mental struggles back and forth. And he's very articulate and being like, listen, there's nothing new under the sun, Like you're going to be pulled back and forth and never able to fully participate. So I think when it comes to offering and gratitude and giving thanks, you will never be successful with this and it will never come to you intuitively unless you have accomplished the composure and the stillness. The first few vital steps, I think, are just really clearly needed before you're able to even consider how to give. Because if because it's just chaos within you. Well, yeah, I, I agree with you because really when you're, what you're saying about being in the moment, you know, that's tied into 
feeling your feelings too in the moment. So if you're not in the moment, how can you truly know exactly how you're feeling? And if you don't know how you're feeling, how can you feel thankful? You know, you yes. can, you can say you're thankful. So thanks, blah, yes. blah, blah, but you're not truly feeling, feeling it. it. Yes. Yeah. Cause there's definitely, you can feel it from the depths of your soul and heart and like your gut when you're truly thankful for something, it's like a yes. bodily reaction yes. in me at the very least you know? Yes. And there are, I forget what the word is in the Bible, but there's a term in the Bible for that. It's like a groaning out for God or a, it's like a response that comes from like a being that's like, ah, thank you. And it just comes, it's like very animalistic sort of like signal that goes back of like a a thanks, a sense of gratitude. And I think that that's sort of like the concept that you get to your point when you're able to create and unknow what's going on with you at the, at the moment. It seems silly to say, but I think it's true. Well, you know what? Like, think about the times that you've felt that visceral gut, like reaction, that wellspring of gratitude. Those are beautiful, joyful are. moments. Yes. And don't we want more of those? Absolutely. I want more of that. I mean, I think we become so addictive to the chaos and the distraction around us that we forget the benefits of, and the, the, the goodness of that feeling. I think you can forget that sort of in the day-to-day, which is again, that need for preparing yourself. And what, what I think, what I think I understand about the sacrament, I think what that is all about is a way of sort of reconnecting you to that, to remember what it feels like, because once you feel it, it's like, oh, well, let's have more of this and less of that other stuff. You know what I mean? Which is, I think it's possible to create that. Well, I mean, I, I do think that I feel a lot of that immediate you know, emotional gratification when I'm helping somebody else or serving other people. Cause it really does. Like when you give to other people, you do get back so much because, you know, like for instance, now that I've been working with the kids at the school, you know, I was leaving the classroom the other day and this little girl that's in the 4k was washing her hands outside the bathroom with, cause they're getting ready for lunch with like a group of little girls. And she's like, hi, Miss Bridget. She's like that. And she's pointing to her friend. She's like, that's Miss Bridget. She teaches us about Jesus. <laughs> and she's like, she, she tells me all about Jesus. And then the little girl's like, huh? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like, who's that? Cause she's not in my class, whatever. But like, yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, that was like a little heartwarming yeah. moment. Cause I'm like, yeah. oh, that's what this is for. like. Everything that I'm doing is for is for just teach children about Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's working. You know, I think what, I, yeah. I think what's interesting about that too, is like, you know, you had a journey to this spiritual teaching moment that you're in right now. And it was an intuitive journey of you being aware and present in your life and called it was a calling you weren't forcing it right because again i think this is where people get tripped up they're like i need to give more i'll volunteer at three different places and whenever anyone needs anything i'll drop everything into and it's not coming from a place of like intuitive calling it's just coming from a place of busyness literally i really do think that what you're talking about that's what breeds resentment when people are just out in the world like saying yes to everything because i think like, okay, I need to get back. So it's from a place of, it's not coming from the right source because there are things that you're being called to do. And I think that's part of trying to have a discernment process and praying about it and trying to decide, okay, what are my gifts here? Yeah. Where can I grow? I mean, just saying yes to everything, I think 
or trying to force something is definitely breeding grounds for resentment later on. Yeah. But I, yes, you're absolutely right. And I think it's something that, you know, it's something that can be over because it seems on the outset to look like such a churchly thing to do. Right. (laughs) So pious. Yeah. So pious. Like, Oh, they're so good. Like that should be the last of your concern. Right. Like not everyone here is to experience the same things. Not everyone here is here with the same spiritual skills. So it's like, you got to work with what you're given and what you wanted to experience in this life. Right. So it doesn't really matter what, what looks good on Sunday morning. Right. Like, and if you want to pursue that, that's fine, but it just feels, I don't think you're going to get out of it. Look, I think it's going to feel empty and you won't be able to participate as he says in this book. You know, I don't think full participation is really what he's after because I think he's, he knows that if you are able to establish that connection, it will be that life force that continually can steer and guide you. You know what I mean? It's just clearing the path for a better connection to yourself, I think, which is going to help you in life. (laughs) That can't hurt. Well, and on the other hand too, sometimes you don't even realize you have special gifts in a certain area until you accept a calling. Yes, And that requires leaps of faith sometimes because you'll get things presented to you in little ways over and over again. And there'll be a little thought like, maybe I should try that. But then a little fear might come in. Yeah, I don't know if I could be, especially for perfectionist at all, you're going to self tailor your experiences for success. So you'll look at that and be like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can be successful at that. But sometimes you just have to take that leap of faith. Yes. That the calling is and give it a shot. And find out if that was a true calling or not, because then, you know, that, well, they say that God equips the call called doesn't call the equipped. (laughs) So (laughs) you can kind of take that from like either way. I mean, sometimes you do have obvious gifts that you can give, but then sometimes there's hidden things that need to develop over time that are waiting for the right calling. So I think that is something that happened to me for sure with working with these children. I never thought I'd be working with kids. Yuck, you, but (laughs) (laughs) I had four kids and yeah. And I, and I really enjoy them. So (laughs) it's true. What, what else does he sort of um, let's make sure we make, we make our way through the chapters. Let's go on to the next one because we're going to move on. We're talking about the sacrifice and this is the the theme that I saw in this one. This is a very short one, but it's about service. So we're talking about, you know, when you're, when the priest is acting, we're watching him and identifying with his gestures because this is the part of the essential act of the sacrifice. We're talking about God, Jesus's salvation for us is mm-hmm. sacrifice. And I liked how he points out on page 36, we must overcome the unconcern, sleepiness, indolence, and inertia, which keep us from the sacred act so that we may enter into it vitally. And then he points out how composure is what enables us to do that and how being aware and in the presence of, you know, just here, he calls it a state of active watchful vitality that alone permits genuine, genuine participation, watchful vitality, watchful vitality. I love that. (laughs) I love it too. I think it's again, very similar to, and I think Jesus talks about this, like the guarded house with the watched house. Like you wouldn't just like 
leave your house unlocked and walk away. Like you're ever guarding, right? Ever guarding, ever vigilant on making sure that no one that should not be in your house is coming into your house, right? So it's like your mind and your body are the same. It's the same, like ever watchful about thoughts that come in or feelings that come in or, and making sure that you are constantly vigilantly sorting through that. Like, um, that's spam. I'm not going to give that thought any more time in my day. Um, is this thought helpful? Cause if it's not, I have other things to do. Like literally being vigilant in that way. I think there's great wisdom in that. I also know it's really hard to do. <laughs> it's hard to do because it's easy to get sort of like lost in it and remove the vigilance of like, yes, I'm going to guard my thoughts. I'm going to guard sort of my composure and really um, do a really good job about it. And then again, like a challenge comes and there's so many examples, like life will just throw, life is great. Cause it's like you were spiritual quest ground. Like it doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing. You likely will um, run into a challenge at some point. You know what I mean? So it's like the good, the good news and, and, and maybe the good news and the good news here is like, you will fail, but you will try again because you are constantly being stretched and exercised when it comes to this vigilance, because it is so hard to do, but you have so many opportunities to exercise it. And you might find some days you're more successful than others, but it's inspiring on the days that you're able to put those thoughts away. You know what I mean? And to really look carefully at like, huh, do I see a pattern here with, with my behavior? Like that self-knowledge, that self-awareness, um, is just so vital here. Absolutely. And then kind of when you were talking before about vigilance, it reminds me of the parable of um, like all the 10 bridesmaids or the 10 virgins. Yeah. The like, hey, can I yeah. borrow some lamp oil? And they're like, yeah. no, you get your own lamp oil. We're going yeah. Like Easy. you were prepared. <laughs> yes. You need to be prepared. Yeah. So the pair like a uh, good, good old Jesus parable means so many different things, but yes, that's absolutely. I think that's why they're so perfect. Yeah. Because at that time <laughs> that, that story really meant something to people. They're like, why would they not have oil? You know what I mean? But now we're like, why do they have oil? Like what's fine. But like, again, putting yourself in a, you know, one AD Jewish man's perspective, that would be crazy pants to not be prepared in that way. And to like, you know what I mean? It's, it's sort of like, Oh, dropping yourself in an unknown city with no money and wandering around. It's like, why would you, you wouldn't do that. Why would you do that? You know, like, no, like prepare yourself, be vigilant, um, be aware of your surroundings, like all those types of things that we try to, to teach. And I think it, again, again, still is that trying to sort of come up with ways and techniques to make this a little bit, or, or to not rem- not to forget. I think sometimes it's hard because you get pulled into the ways of the world all it takes is one email, one letter from the IRS, and you are just right back there into like worry mode, stress mode, um, your kid mouths off to you, like whatever. And it's just really hard to remove yourself from that to be like, I'm going to be ever vigilant and I'm an eternal being. And like, it's hard to remind yourself of that, right? When, when life seems to hit you in these like deaths of a thousand cuts, little ways. Well, when you were talking before about life and like the spontaneity of life, what's going to get thrown at you, the challenges and stuff, what do you think? Um, it says at the bottom of thir- page 36, prayer and religious action are life, but life consists only partly in spontaneous acts. 
Most of life is service and conscious effort, and both are at least as important as impulsive activity. It continues on on page 37. Service does not imply action overflowing naturally from an inner need, but rather action performed in obedience at the appointed time. And that ties into divine serving must be learned and practiced over and over again so that it may become increasingly vigilant, profound, true. So this is kind of like the part of the underlying reason why there are so many repetitive ritualistic things that happen at a Catholic mass service. It's the habit building, the um, obedience at the appointed time. What do you think about that? Well, I think people don't like the term obedience, especially Americans, but I think in this circumstance, um, the obedience is actually, well, this is my perception of it. When he's talking about obedience to sort of like the spiritual call or um, sort of like a divinely ordained path, I really think that that is reflected back on you. So, and I think, you know, my beliefs, we've never really kind of gone into this, but I believe that God is part of you, of you, right? He created us in his image, right? So the obedience is not to some outside entity. It's to you. It's you. It's the call is coming from you, right? Because that's the spark of the divine that's in each of us. So I, I, I just turn that a little bit because I think sometimes the reaction is, um, I think people may be drawn to or in, that enjoy um, that certain traditions that are like obedience. I think it, it's a certain personality. It's attracting to like, yes, I will be obedient to this outside entity and I will serve this outside entity. But I really flip that around and just think to myself, like, it's not, you know, you're not Jonah running away from God. You are, you are part of God. Like you are part, you are linked, right? So it's about listening to the internal call. Once you've eliminated all the garbage that we, that we learn as part of living here and to be obedient to that, because we've all done things in life where we don't want to do them, but there's just a little voice that's like, you're going to do this, Right. And I think when we try to run away, we're not running away from like a, a God with like a beard up in a cloud, really running away from the call that's inside. It's an internal call, a pulling, right? To sort of like look and assess and address things that we don't want to deal with. And I, I've definitely had moments in my life where I like, quote unquote, ran from God. But what I was really running for was part of me, right? So that's how I sort of look at that and take that but interested in your thoughts. Cause again, this is part of the tradition that you are actively part of. Well, I mean, part of the theology of the body, what Catholics hold is that we're temples of the Holy spirit. So God lives in our heart and our soul too. And I think like the roots of fear of obedience have to do with fear or not like a disbelief that God is good. That God really loves you. I mean, when you were a little kid, you knew that you're, you're, or at least you believe that your parents knew what was best for you in certain ways, you know, mm-hmm. that they had yeah. your, your, the best wishes in mind for you. Yep. But as we get older, our defiant natures and our fallen natures kind of keep rebelling against that idea because we want to be our own God. We want to be in charge. We want to push against the idea that um, God might know better than us. You know, that there's somebody that there's an entity that knows more and is more powerful than us. We want to be that, right? I mean, I think that's at the crux of a lot of that fear of authority or fear of disobedience is like believing that maybe God doesn't really have the best in in mind for us. Maybe God doesn't really love us the way that 
we want, we think we should be loved or that he says he loves us. So, you know, I think that's part of that lack of wanting to obey and the word obey is just so fraught with meaning in our culture too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Instant, instant, like, I think, you know, negative reaction in some people. Yes. Clearly that that infringes on my freedom, but yeah, reality is, is the true freedom means is what you get when you're resting in God's hands. Yeah. And I think truly free. Yeah. And I think, this is so important that we're talking about this. Cause I think, you know, people hear that like resting God's hands. Like I have no idea what you're talking about. And I think from, from my perspective on what that means again, is like when you give up the way of the world and your ego in a lot of ways, cause the, that's the, a lot of times the false God that people talk about, I think is our ego. I think that's sort of what it's hinting at. And when you release these things and you're able to sort of rest in that innate intelligence that's within you, that's divine, right. In my opinion, you're never going to be steered wrong. It's not going to walk you off a cliff. You know what I mean? Again, like, and it's a loving, it's a, it's, it's a loving intention, right? It's like this, like, again, like you are part of me. Like, I feel like that's, I feel like that's what really that rest really means. And there is so much um, relief and realizing, oh, you mean, I don't have to like live up to these, um, these standards or this perfection. And I can just like, rest in this knowledge that I am like, you know, part of God loved by like, that's a real relief. That's a real relief because this world will tell you if you're not, you know, if your child is encoding or learning Mandarin, you're going to be left behind and oh my God, you'll be, you know what I mean? There's so much fear in the world that I think this message, it feels it, it's called relief because it does feel like, and that rest you know, again, I always come back to it. Come with me and live lightly and freely. I'm always like, yes, that's what I want. But it's like, want that? Because you tend to create a lot of drama in your life, right? And I think every human being does this. And that's a lot about what this book is about, is how to sort of free yourself from that cycle. We only have about a minute left. So what I think- What's next week? Next week, we should do the next two chapters on um, chapter eight and nine, altar as threshold and altar as table. Ooh, I love it. Oh, yeah. I'm excited for the altar thing. Cause this I'll need some education from you on <laughs> the altar signifies. And then I'll talk to you about like altars in my life, maybe as, as a sort of, uh, and that's exciting. I'm excited about this one. Good. <laughs> sounds interesting for sure. Yeah. Sounds fun. Okay. Have a good week. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye. I'll be back with another episode in one week. In the meantime, check out more content on olivebranchmom.com and follow me on Instagram at olivebranchmom. Check out my show notes for links to both. Thanks for listening.